Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, Tasting Terroir, where we are on a journey to explore the link between healthy soil and the flavor of your food. I'm your host, Sarah Harper. Last week, we took a peek into the soil microbiome, that world underground where billions of organisms work together to build health and flavor for our food. We also explored the concept of regenerative agriculture, a way of farming that restores and renews the health of the soil by working with nature instead of against her. But as you may remember, regenerative agriculture is not a checklist of practices. More than anything, it is a change in the mindset of the farmer that then leads to many other management changes on the farm. That sounds good, but what does it really mean? How does regenerative farming play out on the farm? What kind of difference do these regenerative principles make in the food they create? How do food brands incorporate regenerative into the ingredients they use? And of course, can you taste the difference? These are some of the questions that we're going to be exploring over the next several weeks as we bring you interviews with farmers and emerging food brands in our online community, the Global Food and Farm Network. These are truly amazing people that I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the past few years who are dedicated to building a healthier, tastier whole food system. In this episode, I'm going to share brief clips from a few folks who you will be learning a lot more about in future episodes, and then we will dive into a full interview with some of my favorite regenerative farmers, Canadians Derek and Tannis Axton. To get us started, let's first hear from my co-host, Dr. Jill Clapperton, a top soil scientist and plant physiologist. I'm going to ask you to fill in the sentence, regenerative agriculture is. Regenerative agriculture is about rehabilitation, restoring. And I mean, when I say restoring, I mean restoring system function. It's about aggregating, not splitting. Mm. It's about bringing people together. It's about bringing things together. It's about creating communities, thriving, vibrant communities. It's about diversity. Mm-hmm. So re- regenerative, it is diverse, has a lot of diversity in it. It has functioning communities and has function, like it's functioning. And it, it's like cooking with gas, mm. you know, mm-hmm. regenerative, you put the gas to it and it is bubbling mm-hmm. in a really productive way. It's, it's like a magnet. Everything is coming to it. And it's building from that magnetic force and things are getting stuck to it. All sorts of different things are being stuck to it, Mm. but it's growing and growing and growing Mm. in a really positive and productive way. With Jill's great description in mind, we are starting to see the outlines of what regenerative agriculture does and perhaps why the healthier soil it creates would lead to more flavorful food. Let's continue to fill in the outline with a few more folks. Next, you're going to hear from farmer Gail Fuller with Circle 7 Farms in Kansas, farmer Deanna Lazinski and her brand of regenerative pasta, Guardian Grains of North Dakota, and food company owner and regenerative ingredient maker, Jennifer Coer with Around the World Gourmet from Ohio. Summarize it all down. I'm going to have ask you to fill in the sentence, regenerative agriculture is... 
Regenerative agriculture is life. Wow. <laughs> That's good. You know, I I used to talk about when I when I started out of the conventional world and started, you know, cutting back on pesticides and I got I was doing a lot of speaking at conventional conferences and I got started asking being asked to speak at organic conferences because cover crops are pretty new there also. And I was shocked because I just viewed organic as awesome outside Mm -hmm. of tillage. Mm -hmm. But I realized, sadly, that organic and conventional agriculture are basically the same. They're both Mm -hmm. systems designed to kill. Mm -hmm. Both those Mm -hmm. farmers wake up every day. What do I have to kill today? Mm -hmm. You know, is, is it a bug? Is it a weed or what? And we, we need to start waking up every day thinking, what do I need to grow today? Not what do I need to kill? What do I need to grow? Okay. All right. So Deanna, in one sentence or two, regenerative agriculture is? Mm. Better food for people and animals. This is you great. That shell. No, no, it, it is. <laughs> I, I, There's a million other things it does. Right. But right. we are boiling it down to why it really matters. Why it really matters is because it offers better food for mm. people and animals. And that's. And I think the process of getting to that outcome is, is that you're rejuvenating the soil and that, that then enables you to create a better product, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it all starts. Um, my t-shirt says soil will save us. And uh-huh. I 100% believe that. And if we can protect it, um, then we have a chance to, to do better and mm-hmm. offer people better. You know, we don't need more of anything, just better. And I think that regenerative agriculture checks those boxes when we're talking about, um, the, you know, minimizing tillage, minimizing soil disturbance, minimizing your use of fertilizers and reducing all of the, the chemicals and, and things like that. I think that they all check off boxes towards better food. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the goal. I mean, it, in, we get to repair the earth, but the result is better food. So fill in the sentence. Regenerative agriculture is. Regenerative agriculture is a way of helping with climate change and global warming by no tilling on our farms um, and keeping the the earth and all its ecosystem in place. We can have more nutrient dense uh, foods from this. And that's what it, that's what it means to me. Tell everybody who you are and uh, what your business is, what you're, what you're doing and where you're at. It's Jennifer Coer. um, And I'm in Eastern Ohio. Yeah. And so here I am with a a business, a, a Food company, um, Coer Foods International is the is the corporate name. Doing business as Around the World Gourmet, which is my food brand, and now also doing business as Regenerative Mills. So we are a manufacturer of gluten free vegan pizza crusts. I have other recipes that I have um, that don't taste like it. I might add because yes, that does not some, taste. Like it. <laughs> some some of those can 
be a little taste challenged, if you will. Yeah. And I have had the the good fortune to sample them many times and 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 can attest that they are, you know, you, you really can't tell the difference. And in fact, a number of your patrons don't even know that they're that's true. That's great. That's true. And do you think do you think it's something that consumers are looking for or that or that they they can understand? Yeah, I think that there are um, some consumers that definitely care about this. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen that they've cared a lot about organic in the past, and this is just the next uh, step of them caring. You know, there's the people that care about your bodies and what you know you are, what you eat. But you know, the thing with the organic right now is that most of them still have to till because of weeds control and but I do believe that consumers are going to love this. They're going to love the connection with the farmer. They're going to love the fact that it's helping what, you know, they're actually able to by eating, let's say our pizza. Okay. We actually have a tagline healthier for you and our planet and also save the planet one pizza at a time. I think they're going to feel like they're part of something bigger. By now, you are probably wondering why isn't every brand using regeneratively grown ingredients? That's a great question that you should definitely be asking your favorite brands. Don't worry, that is another topic that we will tackle in the future. But for now, let's get to our feature interview with Derek and Tannis Axton, regenerative farmers from Saskatchewan, Canada, who grow 14 crops so very well and are in the process of creating their own flour mill on the farm which will produce baking flowers of all different kinds of grains that you can buy from them. Well, hi, Derek and Tannis. How are you guys? We're great. We're really good. We good. just got some well-needed precipitation in the form of snow over the last couple of days, but it's we'll take it. Yeah, good. Uh, well, let everybody know, um, you guys are, are regenerative farmers, have been doing it for quite a while, but let everybody know where you farm and and uh, what, you, what you grow. Sure. So we farm in Minton, Saskatchewan, uh, which is, I guess, south-central Saskatchewan, very near the U.S. border. Like, basically, what I tell people, think about where Montana and North Dakota intersect, and we're just north of that line. And uh, I don't know, we're a small grains operation uh, focusing mostly on oh, heritage grains and, and grains that we can market directly to end users uh, and, and grains that we can add value to. Um, you know, oh gosh. <laughs> um, do you want me to name specific? Sorry. Do you want me to name specific? Like, this, this gets too long, or do you? Because yeah. it's like 14 different crops. I'll yeah. help you out because I've talked to you several times, but um, but you do a lot of with wheat and ancient grains, right? And yeah. pulses, chickpeas, lentils, flax, you know, oh. a whole bunch of different interesting things that that uh that that could go into what bread or crackers or you know, just all of those kinds of things, right? Yeah, yeah. well, things that yeah, exactly. Things that we can oh, I don't know how to it was grains that we thought we would that end users that would good thing you can edit. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I don't know how to word what we grow. We grow shit that nobody else grows, basically. 
You know, it's like <laughs> other than organic farmers. It's and, yeah. and every there there is a lot of confusion and people do think that we're organic and we're not. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like spelt is definitely a, a big one. We grow, yeah, golden flower. That's right, spelt. Amaranth, do you grow any of that? No, we, we no. don't. Uh, okay. I don't we, we, mustard, we mustard that. seed. That's right. That's yellow, another one. Yeah. Yeah, yellow mustard that we yeah. So yellow mustard seed is, is a big one for us and we supply that to uh to burlap and barrel. Um yeah. that's the Camelina is our other oil seed. And then, yeah, some of the ancient grains like spelt, corjan, red fife. Um, red fife, that was another yeah. one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we grow a hullus oat. Um, so like oats, oats yes. have traditionally dehulled, but we have a variety that was actually designed to be, it's like a naked oat and so it can be used, you know. <laughs> the naked oat, yeah. The naked oat. <laughs> um, and yeah, the, oat, we're, the oat's really cool because it's actually, it's a really high protein, you know, oats are traditionally 10 to 12 and these are like 18 to 20% mm-hmm. protein. So they fit really well, like in a snack bar or any of those kind of things, you know, especially with all of the rage around protein right now. Yeah. And you guys are also working on, you already have a food grade seed cleaning facility and you're working on a mill. So you'll be able to turn your crops into actual ingredients and products that people can consume. Yeah, no, for sure. We, so we are, that's where we're sitting right now. We're in my office in uh, it's attached to our facility and yeah, we've been, this has been in operation for 18 months, which has got us in some, some customers, some different customers kind of actually almost all over the world now. And the next step is we are, we are, the, the flour mill is going together right now. Our, our crew is not here for a couple of weeks because we're waiting for some components, but we're hoping to be grinding in June. We have one confirmed flour customer. It's a pretty good size volume uh, for spelt flour that we're pretty excited about. And so we really want to get grinding sooner than later. And then, you know, Tannis has been talking to a whole bunch of different smaller customers and uh, yeah. But yeah, it is. Yeah, so we'll be we're gonna be able to package uh, to start with in tote bags and in twenty and fifty pound bags. Uh, we put a lot of thought and a lot of time into quality and food safety. So you know, metal detection, color <laughs> sorter, all of it. Yeah, it, yeah, a lot. Yeah. So it's we really want to make sure the things that leave here are not only nutritious but safe. So yeah, yeah high quality, high quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that is great, and I know you guys have been farming and doing regenerative farming for quite some time. So there's, there's a context there. I just want people to understand that it, it, you aren't just, you didn't just come to this last year. You've been, it's been a long <laughs> journey, but you've been on it for a long time too. Maybe how, how far back would you say you got started on this kind of this regenerative journey? Well, the mindset shift, the mindset shift happened in the mindset shift happened. What? <laughs> it does really fast. I know. I'll try to. It, the The shift in mindset uh, happened in in the summer of 2007. The first time I met Doctor Goyback. That that's really easy to. I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, we were, you know, commodity farmers. Didn't realize there was another world. Do the same thing year after year. After yeah, year. you know that was you know the only real metric we were trying to improve was yield um so anyway with with that you know that first visit to back and and it's everything that kind of happened after that and it's it's it really is a journey and i i don't i keep telling people i mean we we still don't think we're there i don't think we'll ever be there i don't know where there is Mm -hmm. 
Um, but we've improved, but we there's definitely a lot of room for improvement from here on in. All right. So then that brings us up to, and that's one of the important things I think that that we wanted to do with this this kind of series is to help people understand the regenerative agriculture, what it is and and what it is from people who are doing it instead of just the external marketing that often gets thrown around there. Um, so what is your definition of regenerative agriculture? You make it sound so easy. Like, <laughs> no, I know it's not. <laughs> we are on a lot of boards and committees, committees, and everyone wants to know the definition. And we knew this interview was coming. So we've spent actually hours this morning sitting around the breakfast table, even with our daughter, um, really discussing and thinking. And so I had to make a few notes because it was Good. exciting. We talked and we came up with more ideas of. It's funny because we we're all on the same page, but we had different ideas of how we got there. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we came up with first is there's no hard and fast rules because it is a constant journey. And it really comes down to the mindset and the motivation behind your actions. Mm. So we basically defined it as a philosophy of overarching principles that put soil first. Mm. That's so, really good. You know, starting with the soil, but impacting so much more health, happiness, community. And yeah, that was kind of the the heart of where our our conversation went, that it isn't, it isn't a thing as much as it is. It's a real philosophy and a mindset. Well, that that's, uh, that's great. And I think um, so often the marketplace looks for, you know, these five things to certify or or these, you know, things to to say you're not doing, you know, to make sure to survive that you're not doing. And I think there are there are some who want to put regenerative in that same path, you know, because that's the model that everybody's used to. So what in your discussion and you're thinking about this, you know, what are the dangers of that? Even though there's there's danger of being too vague, you know, if it's a philosophy, that's great. But how do I know that you're you're philo- you're really in it and on and on the path, and somebody else who claims they are maybe isn't. And so there are outcomes from that philosophy that you could measure maybe, but, uh, but what's the danger of maybe the very rigid path that is more concrete, but, but has some challenges too, maybe. Well, I, I just did this, or I guess I was recently quoted in an article that Sarah De La Vaz did for, for RFSI. And, and my problem with any kind of certification is simply that people will ride the minimums. And then, you know, and that's, that's what got us when we were in the conversation this morning was got us around talking about motivation. What is your motivation? Is it, is it dollars and cents? And what is the motivation for these certifications? Is it so they can monetize what we're doing or is it to actually get our, you know, to, to move our product into consumer's hands? Like, and I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think motivate, you know, what is your motivation is, is, uh, it's something we didn't really consider a whole bunch before. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, I think we did in our own farm. Our motivation was the soil. Mm-hmm. And that's where we started because we knew that that was the most important resource and that in the end would give us the biggest benefit in the end. Um, but yeah, we discussed a lot about motivation because it's, it is why is the end for the consumer or is it for yourself? Um for us, it started with ourselves. And then when we got excited about our product, we wanted to be able to offer it to someone. And we really thought, and I think it does to a certain extent, 
you know, our story sells because people, you know, we grow it here, we clean it, we bag it, you know, exactly where it came from. But we were just talking about that. And there's a lot of people, we find a lot of our products going into markets where people are just so impressed with the quality of the product. They don't know how it was grown, Mm -hmm. but the outcome is there. And I think it's because of the practices. But as far as measuring every little thing in between, it's, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. We found that it was a really interesting conversation because probably the company that's going to be our largest customer in 2022 um, has no idea how we farm. They just know that they really like our grains. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was interesting to us because, you know, um, you've seen those blind taste tests where they, they tell you which one is more expensive than the other. And then you, you just, you want it to be better. Mm-hmm. You know? With these guys, it's, there's no, there's no anticipation. They, they're not judging us for how we farm or they just know that our, that our products are really good. They're not mm-hmm. seeing a label and being like, Oh, this must be good. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's labeled this. They're yeah, looking at the actual product. So, well, Cause that goes back to is, you know, cause some people I think will question is regenerative real or does it make a real difference or how can, but you know, if, if you're doing all these things that really enhance the soil and then you have more nutrient density and more minerals are getting into the crop. And then that mineral affects the taste, right? It affects the quality and affect all of these things. So in theory, at least you would have a better product, not just in some ways that you'd have to detect in a lab, but in ways that people could actually detect that would go hand in hand with then being able to have a better market. Yeah. And, and we've been doing that too. You know, Jill's, I think we've got four or five years of data on, uh, on nutrient density testing, uh, we've been doing glyphosate and AMPA residue testing, and all of those things have been the outcomes we want. But it really hasn't been the big driver of sales that we expected mm-hmm. it or hoped it would be. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about how it it goes even beyond that. For us, when we shifted our mindset to focus on the soil, which really involved all these regenerative practices. Um, you know, we've seen improvements in our soil, improvements in our plant health, um, grains that have high nutrient densities, um, which ultimately can improve people's health. But then beyond that, we were able, you know, we've expanded on the farm and we've been able to employ more people, have more people come into our community. So by starting by trying to build our small biological communities, you can't even see it's having a huge impact on our community and our entire lives. That's yeah, so cool. that's one of the uh, one of the things that I've been gauging is a, a factor of success or a, 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 an indicator of success for us. Is we recently had two of our employees buy homes in our community, hmm. um, and then that are that are going to raise families in our community. That to me, that's an indicator of success. And when we say community, we're talking about a town of 50 people or less. <laughs> you know, yeah. who is a lot. Yeah, that's, that's right. And young people with, you know, are starting families. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what we need in our community to, mm-hmm. so that it can survive. Yeah. And they needed these jobs to be able to do that, to be able to mm-hmm. stay in, in a lifestyle that they maybe would have liked, but, you know, without additional uh, economic opportunity, couldn't. Um, well, I want to ask too, so you talked a little bit about, but so that's your, that's your definition of regenerative. Tell people more about how it is that you practice that. And I know it's not just a set of practices, but it is also practices that matter. 
And so how do you, using that philosophy, how does that translate into how you farm? Well, I guess to start with diversity, um, you know, years back before we started this mind shift, we were, I don't know, down to about four different crops. So, I mean, a diverse rotation, uh, and that includes, you know, the cover crops, inner crops, um, we've planted pollinator strips, um, because as you increase your plant diversity, you're increasing your biological um, community underneath the ground and above as far as, you know, insects and pollinators. Uh, another one would be, you know, the, just the low disturbance. Um, we've worked really hard to build good soil structure. So the last thing we want to do is disrupt it. Um, so we try to disturb it as little as possible and keep it covered so that the soil is protected. Uh, we do control traffic farming also, which has really helped reduce compaction. And once again, is less disturbance on the soil. You want me to keep going? <laughs> no, I can. Um, yeah, it, it, like, I think of disturbance in a really broad term. Like, so, I mean, with that, you know, you know, like Tana said about, about compaction, you know, we just, that all sort of fits under that same umbrella. You know, low disturbance seeding, you know, um, even as far as, like, the inputs we use, you know, we're, we're pretty conscious about the type of inputs we use. And, and we've made a big shift, like, from, you know, back then of more synthetic base to, definitely a predominantly biological base now we still use some herbicides uh we just we're about to take delivery of a, of a sprayer that uses some really really new tech that's going to allow us to reduce like herbicide loads by probably 60 or 70 percent um you know so that's that's a disturbance rate so uh we've invested heavily in that because we we don't think we're, we're not going to get we're not going to be organic we're not going to do tillage so we, we have to find that that place in between where we can get our disturbance, right? So that's all of those things as mm -hmm. low as possible, uh, but still have a good outcomes. So, you know, control our weeds and, and yeah. you know, build our systems. Well, and I think it's important to explain to people that don't really understand, you know, a lot about like the tillage piece and the organic piece. And they hear you say, well, we're not going to be organic. And they don't maybe understand that that's a choice because the trade-offs are ones you don't want. And so maybe share more about what you'd have to do to be organic and the trade-offs that that would mean it, that would be against your, your motto loyal to the soil. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so, I mean, you know, I, obviously people are talking about this new soil health pillar that they call context, which uh, I, I made a joke that I think Dwayne Beck was, was using context before it was cool. Cause that was mm -hmm. probably the first thing he taught me was to look at your native systems and, and use that, you know, when you're planning your cropping systems. So we live in short grass prairie, uh, low rainfall, we're 250 to 300 mils annually, uh, including snow. So that's <laughs> that's one month in some places. And our growing season is is, is short, so we can't do the the, the spring covers and and the, the, the you know the the roller crimper that's enabling some guys to do the the, the organic no-till. That just isn't an option. So that option basically for us, as far as weed control, then leads us to tillage, uh, and we're we're very hilly here uh we're in fragile soils or you know i've told people lots of times that we are we're on the edge of where they stop breaking land for a reason and maybe some of the stuff we're we're farming shouldn't you know shouldn't be under annual cultivation but we are building soils so we're we know it's it's possible um but yeah it's the, the tillage thing is that it would be a real challenge you've got to control your weeds somehow 
you know, and, and maybe one day we'll get to the point where our, our, our soil is, is somehow balanced and we don't grow weeds. But like I told you earlier, it's, we're a long way from that. You know, we've got a lot of room to improve. Cause I think it was Dwayne Beck that said, you don't see uh, earthquakes. You know, you don't see, it's like an earthquake tillage is like an earthquake that you, you know, send through the, the land every year. And uh, you don't see that in nature. Like, you know, nature isn't tilling itself up in order to plant new, a new crop. He said yeah. it more eloquently. I can't remember how he said yeah. it, but <laughs> no, you're right. It's a traumatic, it's a traumatic event. You know, it's a once in a lifetime or once in a century kind of event, you know. Right. That we don't, you know, well, it's it's kind of I know I thought of it like this. If if you're at home and, and a windstorm blows your house down, chances are you're gonna stay home and deal with that and not go to work that day. Right. You know, and if that keeps happening over and over again, you might just move away or maybe right. you'll die. Right. right. So that's I guess I think that's kind of the. That's what the microbes are dealing with when their yeah. environment is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I mean, we were talking about this this morning too with, with tillage. Like it's one of those things that I, I've seen farms who have some tillage in their, in their practices who are doing a lot better job than some no-till farms. So it's, it's kind of back to, that's why it's so hard to define these things because and back to your motivation of, of and, and, you know, and I guess your context for lack of a better term that it, it's um, what else are you doing? You know, how many practices are, are you using and, and what, where are you trying to get to, you know, what are your end results? Yeah. So it's, it's so hard. To, there are many roads to Rome, I guess. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the. Well, it yeah. seems like, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think, most farmers, if not all, have well intentions and it's and may feel that they are doing regenerative practices. But to us, it's not just the one practice. And this is, you know, I'm no till. So I'm a regenerative farmer. Um, it's con. There's always what else can I do? How Because we were no till for a lot of years and we did see improvement in our soil, but we hit a plateau. Right. There's so much more that can be can be done and that was one thing yeah we talked about is just yeah the motivation behind it and the constant journey not just yeah check done mm-hmm. right it, it's funny because for, <laughs> from the time i first met back in 07 and he showed me how water can actually run go in the soil and not run off and then the first time i was at gabe's and and he showed us the difference in management it wasn't about labels it, you know, and, and not until I don't know what year it was when this word started circulating more, you know, in, you know, middle, I don't know, 2015. I don't know what year it was when it started to become a popular word that I guess we realized this is what we fall into. But it was for us, it was never about trying to fit into a into a category. It was just I knew that where we live, if we don't do this, we're not going to be able to build resilience and get ourselves through some of these really dry years, really wet years. Because the one thing that's been constant has been lack of being constant. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it is, it, our rain comes hard and fast when we do get it. We generally get enough moisture to grow a crop. It's just when does it come and how does it come? And are we able to capture it? You know, so that was, that's the driver. I mean, it's the, yeah. it's the soil. And, and I mean, it's, it's really awesome that now that there's sort of a market space for that falls into what we do. You know, and I think we're excited to be to participate in that. But it's funny now how guys are, I want to participate in that market. So 
what's the minimum amount of things I have to do to participate in that market? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit of what's happened organic, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's why we're so hesitant to put labels on these things mm-hmm. is because there's going to be people riding the minimum train. It's like, well, I'm regenerative because I do these four things, right? So that's what's on the list. Mm-hmm. Wow. And to us, that's not what it's about, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the soil. Because you were doing it before there was a name and you would do it even if there was no name. That's basically. I remember years ago, Derek speaking at a conference and Jill Clapperton was there and Derek talked about our farm and she got up and she said, I don't know what you guys, you know, what it's called, but someday it'll have a name. Maybe it'll be new conventional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were talking about that and we never really thought about it, but I mean, it's our human nature. We want to define and label things so that we can understand it. Yeah. 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 I remember that. It was at No Till on the Plains at the, uh, Is that where it was? at the, I don't know what it's called, but the thing after No Till on the Yeah, the AIM Symposium. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. I remember Jill saying that. And, and uh, people who hadn't, weren't using the regenerative word yet so long ago. And, and there are, there's lots of people like, you know, mm-hmm. um, with, with, with the motivation to improve the resource. That being said, I like the word regenerative. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. It gives hope. Um, and it's not just conventional, right? Like the same well, thing. It, and it is descriptive of what, I mean, it's regenerating the, the soil base, the, the resource. Yeah. And yeah. from that, other things are regenerated too. Yeah. 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 No, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch how it develops. Cause I mean, it's obviously it's going to develop and it's, it's becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many labels show up, uh, I was just, we were looking at one last night, Whole30, which is kind of a diet. I see Whole30 has a label now. Mm-hmm. You can have a Whole30 approved product. Oh. Eventually, we're going to have so many, so many labels on the packages that all those will be labels. So <laughs> you won't have enough room for what it actually is. Well, doesn't that speak too to the fact that, you know, there is such a disconnect between people and where the food is grown. And while there is a desire to know that, it's hard and people are busy and they don't really want to spend that much time. And so then the label serves as a stand in for, well, someone else has looked at these things and, and that's better than nobody looking at it. And so, you know, if people are able to actually have a direct connection, like what's so exciting, what you're doing is that you're growing it and processing it and package it. And so that eventually people can, you know, know as much as they want to know about everything that goes goes into it and that's just so rare because the the supply chain is so separated into each separate part and each along the way you lose information and you lose you know um so i don't know if uh are you already in the process of having a way for for consumers to follow you or to uh uh uh, people or brands you might work with kind of how how do they learn about more about what you're doing and and how you're continuing to evolve yeah, well, we've got a website, um, axtonfarms.ca, and we are on social media, uh, Instagram. I don't know. What's our... I'm not even sure. Axton um, family, I think. We have an open door policy as well, so yeah. their people are welcome to come, and we give a lot. We have we have official field days, but we also have a lot of people that just come and show up, and we always make time for people. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the reason that... We do what we do, and we have an open door policy because folks like the Walker Dwayne Beck and Gabe Brown and Jill Clapperton and Christine Jones and all these people took time for us, right? And, and uh, we're able to, you know, share some knowledge, and and we were able to kind of take a little bit from everybody and 
and yeah. put together what we have today. But I don't, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not sure. It's, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> we're going to figure it out. Yeah. It does seem a little salesy to me. So I'm, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> yeah. Your website itself, do you have, you have videos about showing what you're doing on the farm and, and those yeah, kinds of things? Some. So yeah, we've got, yeah, we're working on it. I did want to make sure and catch, um, because you guys do some really cool stuff with composting and making teas that you actually apply to the land. So maybe Tannis just share a little bit about that. Yeah, well, when we first started um, shifting the way we farm and understanding that there's all this life in the soil and realizing that we've done a lot of damage the way we've farmed in the past, we wanted to be able to restore some of that biology. So we started composting, which is really exciting because it's basically what everyone considers waste products, you know, manure from feed beds, our grain screenings from the plant, old bales no one's using. So by composting all that and coming up with um, a diverse compost full of microbes, it's really exciting. And it's a great way to take byproducts and make nutrients that can be available to our land. Uh, We haven't been able to make enough compost to spread across all of our acres. So we make a compost extract, which is basically just washing all the microbes out of the compost into water. Mm. And we put that down with every acre we seed so that it's with the seed and it gives the, puts a little bit of biology back into the soil. And with that, we add some biological foods to kind of give it a jump start. So and micronutrients. And mm-hmm. So we, we use our, we use sap analysis from previous crops to sort of build our program going forward. And it's, it's been a pretty good fit, you know, that's back to outcome testing again, right? So the outcomes of those crops are what helps us build things going forward and helps us make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like it's kind of a mix of the philosophy and the motivation on, on the bigger end, and then measuring outcomes to see how you're progressing, you know, as, as a way of, instead of a checklist of practices, did you do these five things? Mm-hmm. But you are always, I know you're checking the outcomes every year and comparing them against each other. And so you're able to see benefit, right? Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's pretty much, and, and, you know, probably the easiest way to describe it, you know, and we own our land, you know, so I, I've, I've had this conversation before. It's probably easier for us because we know we're going to have it for the next foreseeable future, unless I do something really stupid. <laughs> um, and that gives us, you know, the ability, because it's, it's a slow growth. Like it's not a, you know, we were, we were talking about metaphors, right? And it's not like, you know, with exercise, right? You don't work out once and you're not Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? <laughs> this takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you if you're the, if you need to see results tomorrow, this this may not be for you. Especially as we're dealing with so many variables. I mean, you can you can do everything perfectly, and you get three years of drought, and you're not going to see outcomes at the time. Right? Yeah. If you're able, I think if you have you know the soil covered and a lot of these principles covered, you're going to mitigate a lot of the damage, but you're not going to have a bumper crop just because you follow these principles, right? Yeah, well, and right, and is is yield the only metric you're measuring, mm-hmm. you know, or what are you measuring, and why are you measuring? In our current conventional system, that seems to be the met. You know, that's the first question you go to the coffee shop. You know, what what did it yield? Mm-hmm. Right, that's that's the big comparison, and it's a big mind shift. Not you know, quality over quantity, or you know, there's so many, or how much how much did it cost you to grow that crop? Yes, your yield is higher than mine, but. 
I may have made more money. You know, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many variables, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's funny how, yeah, yield is all a lot of people measure. All right. So, well, that we've talked a lot about all of this now and coming back around, I'm going to ask you if, to complete the sentence, regenerative agriculture is. Well, for me, regenerative ag is, is, is constant improvement, you know, of, of soil and, and mindset and community and health and happiness, all of those things, you know, and then I guess that, you know, I guess in the outcome for us, one of the big ones is, is resilience. I, you know, that's, and, and, and that same thing is back to resilience of soil and, yeah, you know, business, all of them. It, it, it's like from the outside looking in, I guess that's, I, I don't, I mean, yeah, I, I can go kind of a few different ways, but that's. Yeah. And I totally agree. And I mean, I guess that's where I tried to sum it all up into mm-hmm. our little, mo- our little motto of loyal to the soil. Yeah. It's a great it, motto. It's, you know, everything we do, how does it affect the soil? And sometimes mm-hmm. it's not maybe going to have a positive effect, but how can we have as little of a detrimental impact as po- it is possible so that mm-hmm. we can be moving forward? Yeah. I, something that really kind of struck this winter, I took, a, I took a leadership course, which in itself was an amazing experience. But uh, one of the things we talked about, because it's a lot of inward looking and a lot of you know self, but was like when, we, when we're looking at building and looking at measuring success and improvement, Think about sheets of paper. That's kind of, you know, is it is it better or worse than that? I mean, that's what we're and same thing with the soil. I mean, it's not a it it doesn't do if it does, good for you, and, and that's great. But for us, year in and year out, with with the weather challenges we face, if we can be profitable and improve the resource in the same year, that's a win. You know, because I think what happens sometimes is profitability comes at the cost of the resource, and people don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, so. At some point, I mean, I've had some really good conversations with, we're working with a company called Terramara. They're a tech company out of Vancouver that's working on measuring soil carbon, I guess is kind of the big thing they're working on. But we've had their teams out here while they were actually just here again last week. And um, this Brian Smith is the, he's the VP of regenerative finance. I think it's a relatively large company. But we were talking about how at some point, I think on financial statements, we're going to see a column for like, inherent soil value or I don't know what you'd call it but so at least you know if, if it's going to come in the form of carbon trading or environmental credits or whatever that is I don't know what it's going to be it's going to be something if farmers can understand then that there is value that they can see and that's tangible in soil then maybe it becomes a priority so yeah just helping people to understand the complexity and the trade-offs and and yet there are ways that you can still bound those like you know you, you mentioned using pesticides, but you test for pesticide residue. So you're, you know, you're using it in a limited way. And because the soil is so healthy, you don't need to use much. And it's not actually on the food that you're in the residue isn't, you can test for that, you know? So, um, that's, that's, I think what's so complicated that people, and as you said, people don't like complicated, but maybe, maybe that's something we should be more suspicious of black and white. (laughs) You know, it's funny to me talked this morning about like, let's look at this from a consumer's view. Like, I mean, it's mm-hmm. really easy for us to be stuck in our farmer view and mm-hmm. you should like my spelt. I don't know why you don't because it's the best. <laughs> but um, like from a consumer's view, it is it is confusing and daunting. And you can see why, you know, why organic has got a following because it's like, at least they're measuring something, right? right? And at least I have a little bit of traceability, you know, um, you know, in, in some products. So that's, it, it's understandable why, that regenerative is looking to do the certifications. I mean, from a consumer 
standpoint, I think it makes sense. I mean, it, it does. It's just, you know, my concern is how many certifications are we going to have and what are they going to be the differences and the metrics that they measure? And it's just, they're going to- You can't it, certify a mindset. You can't certify a philosophy. I mean, that's the that's the hard- If it is that, if that is what it is, then, yeah. then that part gets our, lost. Our daughter said, you know, like we're talking about regenerating agriculture, but the food system really mm-hmm. needs regenerating too. And- mm-hmm. We'll see. Maybe that'll be her goal. She goes off to university this fall and is taking international food business. So, oh wow! Cool. Hopefully, she can make those connections. And yeah, because I, I do. I feel sorry as a consumer. I couldn't imagine. I mean, we're lucky to grow a lot of the food that we eat, mm-hmm. or know people who do grow it. So mm-hmm. it's it's very comforting. But yeah, you go into a store and it's it's a lot of choices. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to add before we go? I guess the only other thing we talked about was the importance of education, you know, in everything. And that's, we're constantly trying to learn and trying to teach anything we've learned to others also, whether it's field days or we're on different boards or the more we learn, I think the better job everyone can do. Yeah. We really enjoy the field days that they're a lot of work and and they're a bit exhausting, (laughs) but you know, cause our, our year is so short in the first place. You know, but we, we've talked about it. It would be really neat. We enjoy like having farmer-based field days, but it would be really cool to start doing consumer consumer field days and, and just see how that goes and see, yeah, you know, what the reception to that is, what people think is, you know, honestly, I mean, obviously without consumers, we don't exist. So it would be neat to get the, you know, their ideas and, and you know, what's important to consumers and, you know, really, really, you know, and, and what makes them want to purchase this over that or, or why they don't know about us or what we can do better. Yeah. All of those things. I mean, I think that would be really cool to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would too. That'd be great. All right. Well, this is great. Thank you so much for sharing your, your story and your perspective with us. Oh, thanks for thanks having, for having us. us. You made, yeah, you brought up a lot of good conversations. <laughs> things we talk about in passing all the time, but when you really sit down and come up with something, it was... <laughs> Our daughter will be excited to see this because she was wondering how all these thoughts... They're ever actually going to come together in anything. Yeah. You've been listening to Tasting Terroir, a podcast made possible by a magical collaboration between the following companies and supporters, all working together to help farmers, chefs, food companies, and consumers to build healthier soil for a healthier world. Rhizoterra, owned by Dr. Joe Clapperton, Rhizoterra is an international food security consulting company providing expert guidance for creating healthy soils that yield tasty, nutrient-dense foods. Check us out at rhizoterra.com. That's R-H-I-Z-O-T-E-R-R-A.com. And the Global Food and Farm online community, an ad-free global social network and soil health streaming service that provides information and connections that help you apply the science and practice of improving soil health. Join us at globalfoodandfarm.com. And from listeners like you, who support us through our Patreon account at patreon.com slash tastingterroir. Patrons receive access to our full-length interviews and selected additional materials. Patrons will also have the opportunity to submit questions that we will answer on the podcast. Tune in next week to hear more interviews and insights with myself, Sarah Harper, and Dr. Joe Clapperton 
as well as the regenerative farmers, chefs, and emerging food companies in the global food and farm online community and beyond. If you like our work, please give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks so much for listening and for helping us get the word out about this new resource to taste the health of your food. Until next week, stay curious, keep improving, and don't stop believing that better is possible when knowledge is available.